You're listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for listening today. So on today's episode, I asked Nancy the question, what happens when we die? And his answer might surprise you. Hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Yancey, welcome back to the Clicker Resources Podcast. It's always fun to have you here. Thanks, Rachel. Good to be here. Okay, so I know you love reading. You love books. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. (laughs) So before we talk about anything, I'm going to read you this excerpt from a book that I read recently and just get your thoughts on it. Okay. 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 That's how we're going to start this off. That's how we're going to start. All right. Let's do it. So I wish I had it with me because I have it, but I don't. So I'm just going to read it off my phone. Okay, sure. Yeah, great. Okay, so this is a book by Maria Shriver, okay. Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Yep. Um, is she the granddaughter of JFK? Or uh, I niece? believe that's the case, or I'm something of like that. Sure. She's, she's like within that. the family. Yep. Okay, so she wrote this book a while ago, and it's a bestseller. And the book is called What's Heaven? Here's the clip. Here's the excerpt. Okay. Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. And whoever it is that has died is alive in you as well. End of excerpt. Yeah. So I think that, you know, you can sort of giggle at it because it has a lot of really sort of basic imagery because it's for kids. But Mm -hmm. I think this actually describes a lot of what our culture thinks when they think of heaven. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I didn't know that was for kids. So I was, that was, uh, Mm -hmm. I was hoping that wasn't for adults. Although I I don't think, uh, I think many adults would hear that and be totally fine with that. Like, oh yeah, that's exactly how that Mm -hmm. is. And so um, I think, I think what we find out, Rachel, when, when people talk about heaven, at least the general populace and, and probably even a lot of Christians, is uh, in their descriptions of what heaven is like, they tend to all really be the same. It's kind of a utopia for whatever you want it to be. So, and I know you and I have talked about this, and y'all just have to forgive me if you're listening to me. I've, I've, I've come, actually, Rachel and I both are getting over colds, and so there may be a little bit of coughing here, clearing of the throat, or maybe you can hear the jostling of a, of a, of a throat lozenge or so. But that being said, just, just warning y'all. Um, <clears throat> I think what happens is, a lot of people grow up with kind of culture teaching them what heaven is about than what the Bible says heaven is about. So, I mean, when I was growing up, and I don't, I mean, I know that you're younger than me, but maybe this could be the same for you. You know, Looney Tunes, uh, the, the, the Bugs Bunny cartoons mm-hmm. were, were super popular, even though they were much older when they were made before. I mean, they're probably made in the 60s and 70s and sometimes even in the 50s. But they would always have like, you know, there's Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. And when, when uh, Wile E. Coyote would die, you know, they'd show him go to heaven or uh, some other character. And they're always had wings on. So essentially they became an angel. Uh, they always were playing some kind of a harp. Uh, they, they, they lit themselves upon a cloud. You could kind of see through them. So they were kind of ghosty. And it felt like uh, that that's how I started off learning about heaven and nothing ever changed. Mm-hmm. So when you watch movies with uh, even adult themes, you have um, 
like uh, I can't even like uh, Heaven Can Wait, and uh, that's like seventies movie. You have uh, is it Ghost? What's the one with uh, Demi Moore? Is it called? I think it is Ghost. Ghost. I think that's right. So you you have these kind of ideas where uh, you're kind of semi permeable almost. Mm-hmm. You're transparent, um, and then Heaven's presented as a place of. Of you know, guy that plays golf all of his life when he dies, mm-hmm. everyone likes to say, "Well, you know, he's golfing with Jesus now," or someone who his favorite hobby is, for example, maybe fishing. When he dies, well, now now he gets to fish forever with Jesus, and somehow heaven is translated into whatever you absolutely love to do. You get to do that forever mm-hmm. with Jesus, and sometimes that's kind of a bummer for some people. Like, ah, you know, can I just fish without Jesus? So uh, that's that's how I've I've understood it. That's how I think people understand it. So when Maria Shriver says what she says, it's actually not surprising at all. It just means that uh, she's been influenced probably by the same types of medium and culture that that we all have. And and you don't even have to go into like the last 40, 50 years. You can go even into the Renaissance times. Mm-hmm. You know, we have paintings from Michelangelo and so on and so forth where you have people that are, you know, these angels are actually, uh, as they call them cherubic babies. These are little babies with wings, kind of weird. Uh, why are babies running the place? Um, but I translates to today. So to all that to make short, like even even now when, you know, unfortunately I had someone, a good friend of mine, uh, die from cancer. A uh, lady I grew up, a girl I grew up with in college, and uh, and yet all of her friends posted on there. All of them church going people said, well now she's an angel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, oh gosh. Um, you know she's an angel. She finally got her wings, and and um, and I appreciate their sentiment. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't respond at all, nor would I. But that's just not what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach any of that. So our ideas of what heaven is like are really more influenced by our culture than they are by the scripture, is what I've seen. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about that is that they're sort of two parts to that that you talked about, which I totally agree with that. There's this, it's in the clouds and it's harps and just sort of singing and sitting there forever. Yeah. Which you see in lots of cultural representations yeah. and a lot of the medieval, like Dante is yeah, sort of, it's sure. a little bit like that. And then you have just, well, heaven's just whatever I want it to be, which is good golf. And I guess throw Jesus in there. So I get there. Right, right, but right. I'm really just playing golf yeah. or whatever it is. So, um, they just come from culture, or is there any basis in the Bible for these interpretations? Well, of I, what heaven is? I do think we we probably glean a word or two from the scriptures about what heaven is like. I mean, Jesus calls it when he's on the cross. He says to the thief, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." And so we think, what's paradisal? Uh, and paradise for us, we just what happens is we use our own definitions of paradise instead of God's definition of paradise. And so that doesn't mean that the biblical picture of what eternity will be like isn't isn't uh, amazing and wonderful and beautiful but because we either choose to not know a lot about it or we just we just don't know a lot about it we tend to want to wrap ourselves around it and somewhat feel it comes across almost like in a narcissistic way to define it mm-hmm. it's what it's whatever i like and i get to do it all the time when um when if you think through that surely at some point that wouldn't be heaven i mean i even for the person that must love Fishing, just if he wound up every day for the rest of his life in a boat with a line in the water, uh, he may be hearing this right now going, no, that would be heaven. But to do that for eternity, I, you know. Eventually, that's as boring as playing a harp. Excuse me. I would think cloud. so. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, so if that's the, not right. Right. Then what is heaven? Well. What, what do we mean when we say heaven? <clears throat> excuse me again. Within Christianity. I think what we're going to say, what we say is when we look at the scriptures, Heaven is the place of God's specific presence to bless or his special 
presence to bless. So what we would say is that God's everywhere. I mean, God's presence is everywhere. That's why he has the character trait of uh, being omnipresent, omni, all present, obviously being there uh, manifesting himself. So when we say that God's uh, omnipresent, we're saying that his presence is at least at some level everywhere. Okay. So there's nowhere that he's not. Uh, even the psalmist talks about that. If my if I make my bed in the heavens, there you are. If I make my make my bed in in the realms of the dead or Sheol, as they would say, there you are. So God's presence is everywhere, and theologically speaking, biblically speaking, heaven is is God's specific special place where His presence is to bless, uh, where it's even referred to as His abode, His home, if you will. Uh, where where he seeks to rule and reign from. Now, that's mm-hmm. all really that the Bible says. It doesn't say much more about that because probably it's beyond our comprehension. It's not like heaven's beyond the fifth planet in the solar system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not... We, we tend to think heaven is up and hell is down, uh-huh. but that's really not... That's really not true uh, yeah. because these are these are spiritual, real places. They're just uh, probably not places you could like turn around, turn left at the star here and go about four kilometers and then turn right at this cosmos and then you'll find heaven. That's not, they seem to be spiritual places, uh, dimensions even we don't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherever it is, it's a mystery. We just know that's where God's special presence to bless is. And you would say conversely that hell is God's special presence uh, to judge or to curse um, that would be the difference. But God's presence is everywhere. Well, I think, so something I think is interesting about what you're talking about right now is whenever you talk about, so Genesis and Revelation, yeah. two, two, and we're going to talk about that a lot, but uh, two books in the Bible that people really focus on a lot, mm-hmm. um, but sometimes get so distracted by the details, we miss this big picture of what's happening in both of these books. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm <clears throat> whenever you're talking about uh, where heaven is and um, is it above and is hell below. Part of understanding, I think, even reading the Bible's descriptions of this is part of this um, ancient Near Eastern cosmological yeah. point of view yeah. that you have to have when you're looking at Genesis yeah. 2 and for their worldview, right? This And this is interpreting any part of your Bible yeah. is, um, you know, the heavens are above right. and, you know, Sheol or where the dead go is below. Mm-hmm. And so part of that, it's not, it is biblical in the sense that who, the people who God was speaking to in that time, that was their worldview. Yeah. But yeah. it's not the point. It's not literal. It's imagery. And it's, you know, that's this is part of how we have to process how we think about heaven and hell too. Yeah. What, what we would say is that God accommodated to the worldviews of the people he was trying to communicate, just like any good communicator, he would use kind of language and ideas and concepts that the people to whom he was communicating were very familiar with. I mean, they didn't know about uh, astrophysics or any of those kinds of sciences or disciplines. They had a they had a very unique way that they were, uh, looked at the world, as you said, their cosmology. Um, they they thought the Earth was flat. They thought it had a Basically, it was in a, not a dome, but there was a, a firm, uh, it actually was a dome around it that rested on pillars. They called it the firmament. That's why mm-hmm. we see that in the Bible. I mean, literally means firmament means that it is solid. They thought it was called rakia in, in Hebrew. They thought that uh, floods came from gates up in the rakia. It's called the floodgates. And so what we would consider is more poetic imagery. Many of the uh, early Hebrews considered it literal 
And so God was speaking to a group of people that thought these things and just used their ideas and language and uh, worldview to communicate truth to them. And so they, they thought heaven was literally beyond the stars. It's called the third heaven. Even Paul uses that language. The mm-hmm. first heaven being the atmosphere, the second heaven being the stars, the third heaven being the realm of God, where all the celestial waters are. I mean, that's just how they thought about things. Mm-hmm. And so... That's why you see that kind of language in the scriptures. God's just accommodating to them, not to teach them about, hey, here's how the universe really started, because they would never, you know, they wouldn't understand what he's talking about. We wouldn't. Uh, but he uses that kind of language to communicate truth to them. And they also thought that hell was in the middle of the earth. It was under the earth, uh, at the center of the earth. In fact, uh, the early, some of the early Christians in the first and second century uh, based on other works, not not from the Bible, but but considered pretty influential in the lives of the uh, early Christians. I'm talking about this won't mean much to anybody, but like Second Esdras or uh, uh, Fourth Baruch, and people are like, where's that in my Bible? It wasn't, but they were influential works. They talked about like a a subterraneous hell. That I mean, it just so a lot of that. That's how that stuff developed. Um, and God wasn't there to correct them on all a bunch of things. He was there to tell them the truth about the coming Jesus, the Messiah, to redeem mm-hmm. all things. And that's why you have all these different interpretations and views over those kinds of things that we talked about. But when you talk about Genesis and Revelation, to me, that's the clearest picture of what the future looks like. So when we talk back to the big picture here, when we talk about like, what is heaven like? It's funny, uh, I, you know, most people like go straight to Revelation, which would be bad. But I'd say, no, start off with Genesis. Start off with Genesis. That would be a better picture, not a better picture, that'd be a better way to talk about what our future looks like. And the reason I say that is because God creates a world in Genesis 1 and 2 that's perfect, where he reigns and uh, man and woman are his co-regents and they have to work together. And it's not like guy on his own and then the girl shows up just to help. I mean, she they have to be there together. Uh, and they're supposed to reign and rule and subdue the earth in such a way that it brings glory to their creator. And that seems, and that's, that's called paradise. We use the word Eden or Edenic, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's really true. And so it's like, well, what would heaven be like? Well, this is what, this is what at least Genesis one and two thought heaven was like. And so that ought to tell us, man, mm-hmm. I wonder, I wonder if that is really what heaven's going to be like in the future. And notice that. Notice that Genesis 1 and 2 is about a real cosmos, a real earth. No one's got wings on. Yeah. Matter of fact, people have skin and bone on. And so then when you fast forward to Revelation, guess what you find? You, you find a whole lot of Genesis language or at least Genesis imagery. You have trees of life. You, you have uh, people, if you will, in a garden. You have a new city there, the new Jerusalem, and you have a redeemed cosmos and it's all very physical. And again, we're, we, we still have people with flesh and blood and bones and skin and hair. And so, and that seems to be like what goes on forever and ever and ever. Amen. So when we talk about heaven, Rachel, and we can go into these other questions, it seems to me there's way more than what people think about with heaven. Because usually what people think about, and I say this often when I preach is, hey, when I die, as long as I believe in Jesus, I die and I zip off to heaven. And that's the rest of my mm-hmm. eternity. And that's just... It's not what the Bible teaches. Okay. So let me backtrack a little bit. Yeah, sure. Because uh, there's so much there. So you said when we think about heaven, um, that's really God's purposeful presence to bless because God yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. But this is almost like God's abode. This is where he, especially now. Mm-hmm. So so real quick, connect that for me because you said in Eden, in mm-hmm. Genesis, 
um, that's where every where God created heavens and the earth, mm-hmm. and everything was connected there. So, right. so just tell me real fast, like how is God's you know his place where he is to bless, <clears throat> his presence to bless, yeah. and how did, how is that with Eden, and how is that different from now? Well, and you will you know this as well as I do. So. Uh, what you see in the picture of Genesis one and two is that God walk, the, the line is God walks with man. So he walks in the cool of the day that there's this idea and it's really poetic imagery that God and, and mankind uh, uh, symbolized with Adam and Eve because Adam's, Adam's name means mankind. So it's not like a real proper name. It's kind of a weird name. Like, you know, if the guy's name was mankind and, and Eve's name, Eve's name happens to be uh, mother of all living. So here you have God walking with mankind and mother of all living. In other words, he, he's walking with mankind in perfect harmony uh, on, on a real earth that has been, that's beautiful and blessed. And uh, when I say blessed, I mean, this is his presence to bless. This is how it's supposed to be. Uh, God and humanity together, uh, the creator and the created uh, working in such a way where God just seeks to bless us that we might bless the world that, that he's given us uh, to steward. And so that all falls apart in Genesis 3, Genesis 3.15, where uh, Adam and Eve both partake of the fruit, they fall, right? And so now you have this rupture. And so whatever fellowship that we had with God through our initial parents, Adam and Eve, that's been uh, rendered asunder. That's been, that's been uh, separated. And so uh, if anything that we have God's presence, it's just we're under the, his presence of judgment, and so, uh, but the beauty of Genesis three fifteen and why it's called the, like the the mm. the, um, the first gospel, the proto evangelion, as they say in the Greek, is because God gives a promise of a redeemer who will come. And the the beauty of the the promise is not just that God will come and reconcile us back with uh, uh, man and woman, humanity in general, is that He's coming to stitch back the universe. He's coming to make all things new. Um, so. That's what we see through Jesus, his work at the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. Um, that, that's where we'd say that work starts to, you know, it's, it's um, I think J.R.R. Tolkien said, uh, this is when sad things become untrue. Mm-hmm. It starts there and it's, it's coming to its fulfilling crescendo at the return of Jesus. And so when you, when you, when you actually look at what the Bible says, like when people die, there's so little I mean, it's paltry. I mean, you could put it in the palm of your hand. How many scriptures talk about where Christians go when they die uh, before the return of Jesus? It's as if Paul doesn't even care about it because what you see, and the reason I say Paul's, Paul's written two thirds of the New Testament roughly. What you see from the words of Paul and Peter and everybody else that's writing the New Testament, they care very little about uh, telling you what happens when you die. They care a whole lot about the return of Jesus because for them, the return of Jesus is the fulfilling of the promise in Genesis 3.15 that Jesus has come not only to reconcile those who believe in him back to the Father, but to reconcile the universe that's been groaning, like Romans 8 says, it's been groaning uh, for its own renewal. And then you have, so if you will, the, the kind of the movements simply put is from Genesis to Revelations, you have paradise, paradise lost, and then you have paradise regained. And it's not even, uh, it's not even just Genesis 1, uh, now Genesis 2.0, if you will. It's a better Genesis. It's a better universe. It's substantially better, and which is hard to say because Genesis 1 is supposed to be perfect, but it's somehow the mm-hmm. way that the scripture teaches it, it's even better. The glory of the Lord uh, is over all the earth as the oceans are over the, the world. So uh, it's a beautiful picture. And that's what 
the New Testament writers want to focus on. It's like, yeah, so you died, but Jesus is coming back because uh, within that return, there's a resurrection. There are real bodies that we have, and there's a whole new universe that we walk into. It's, it's very similar to, I'm mindful of the last battle, C.S. Lewis and the famous Chronicles of Narnia, which by the way, if you've never read it, I know you have many a time, I have. If you've never read it to your kids, just do us a favor and go buy it and read it because it's really just this wonderful story that has so many good gospel and biblical themes. But in the last book, uh, you have the, the, the Pevensey kids, which are kind of the main characters in it, uh, and you wonder what happens to them. But at the end of this kind of universe of Narnia, the last battle is really his revelation book. And there's this wonderful scene where there's a doorway and you look through the doorway and it looks like just, it looks like Narnia, but better. And what Lewis is trying to say is, yeah, that's, that's what heaven is like. Because uh, he's trying to mirror Revelation image, imagery. What you have is not just a new heaven. You have a new heaven and a new earth. You have a whole new cosmos. And it's not, it's not uh, the old one trashed. It's the old one redeemed and even better. And uh, Lewis does what Revelation simply says. And so that's, that's really the focus of the biblical authors. So... I don't know if that even answered your question. I kind of got lost yeah, in the what moment. What was there. that question? I don't, I don't know, know, but whatever it was is good. <laughs> it made me want to just go off with that. No, it's it is good because um, I, I, so I, I just want to again I want to like go back to sort of where you started, which is heaven is where God's presence is specific to, specifically oh, yeah. to bless. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no that's <clears> okay um, because that's the whole, you just gave us a whole biblical story, which is which is super helpful, which yeah. is where we want to go throughout this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so how so it sounds like that that's what was happening in Eden. So, yeah. so heaven and earth yeah. are, are combined. They're connected. There's no separation between heaven and earth. So when you, yeah. or they're intertwined, that is. Yeah. So like God's presence is fully, his presence to bless is on earth. Yeah. And so I think that understanding that that's where we're starting yeah. and that's where we're going yeah. is such a huge part of this. So when we say heaven to understand what you said, that it's God's presence to bless, yeah. then you can understand so much of the biblical story. Yeah. Not even just revelation, not just our end goal, right. where we're headed, our destiny, but what's happening in the Old Testament. Yeah. Whenever Jesus talks about, you know, who he is, the tabernacle to money, I mean, it gives you so much context yeah. to everything yeah. that this biblical story of redemption is doing. Absolutely. And and uh, and probably where I was heading with that till I got uh, lost in my own thoughts was uh, that's why the end game is also where God is with his people to bless. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't, you don't really have, you do have that with Jesus. I love that you, you highlight the John one, he tabernacled among us, which is kind of a wink, wink, like Jesus is with us in a way that God's still with us. Uh, and yet the fullness of that is, is at the end of the age when Christ returns, where you do have God's presence to bless and heaven and earth meet again, and then permanently meets. Um, and it's pictured in like the, the heavenly city. I saw a new city coming down out of the heavens and that's, there's a lot of stuff in that imagery, but the short of it is, is that God once again uh, lives with his people in a way that, that, that harkens back really to Genesis 1, but even, but even better. And that's the future. That's, that's heaven. When you ask a biblical, when you ask Paul what's heaven is going to be like, that's what heaven is for mm-hmm. him. Heaven is not some disembodied existence in perpetuity, you know, uh, you know uh, forever. So um, it's not that. It's not that for Paul. Okay, so I want to talk about the implications of what you're talking about. Yeah. But before we get there, because I know some people are like, okay, but yeah. what happens when I die? It's a great question. It's a great question. So what happens when I die? 
Because you said the Bible just does not speak to this very much, but no. it does just a little. There's like there's a it does. there's hints and it there's does. comfort. I there there are there are hints and there are comforts in it. The, the Bible, it, when you look at the um, when you look at like the New Testament, so the books of the Bible about Jesus and his followers, the church. Um, Paul says things like uh, in Philippians one. And when he says, like, for me to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, mm-hmm. um, he talks about there's, there's something good about death for the Christian. Doesn't mean that it's not sad, that we don't have sorrow. But, but, but theologically speaking, biblically speaking, in our eternity speaking, when we die, there's something to be gained when we die. And it also says that, that Paul says, my desire in that same passage is 22 through 24. My desire is, is, uh, to, is really not to be with you. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And so depart is just a euphemistic word for dying. Mm-hmm. And so in Paul's mind, he believes that when he dies, he's going to go straight to be in the presence of Jesus. That's where we have the Second Corinthians 5 passage where it says um, something about to be present in the body uh, is a good thing, but I'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, right? So that's Second Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. Verse 8, Paul also says to the Corinthians, listen, if I'm not here, if I die, if I'm away from the body, in other words, if, if, um, if something happens to me, I'm going to be at home with the Lord. And I like the, the, the language there because uh, going back to where God manifests his presence in a way that it's not only a presence to bless, but it's almost like it's its home, uh, God's home, not its home, his home. This is what Paul says. I'd rather, I'm at home with the Lord when I die. And so the theological term for this, Rachel, as you well know, is the intermediate state. Intermediate in that it's not, it's not the end game. It's, it's the, it's the uh, status that we have until the return of Jesus. And what we see in the Bible is that when, when someone asks me, what happens when a Christian dies? They're immediately in the presence of Jesus. They go to be with Jesus. Uh, and they're like, well, where's Jesus? And I, that's where I would say, well, Jesus is in heaven. You know, wherever that is, uh, he, he is, he is reigning in heaven. And so uh, this is no different than what Jesus tells the thief on the cross that we mentioned earlier when he says mm-hmm. in Luke 23, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so uh, all of those kind of, but we're talking maybe four or five verses that I can, mm-hmm. at tops, that talk about when, a, when someone dies and they know Jesus, they go to be with Jesus. With Jesus. Mm-hmm. They go with, to be with is Je- the operative word. With I Jesus. Think. With Jesus. And so... Um, so, but I, let me do, let me, let me read you a quote by a guy I really like, highly recommend his book, Anthony Hokema, uh, who's uh, deceased now, but he was a wonderful professor of theology, uh, out of, I don't remember what college it was, Calvin college or something like that, but he wrote a book I read years ago and I just still, it's my favorite book of all time on the end times called the Bible in the future. And here's what he says about the intermediate state. And I think it's good. He says, quote, Therefore, the condition of believers during the intermediate state. So in other words, like here's, what you, here's your status when you die before the return of Jesus um, is a condition of incompleteness, of anticipation, and provisional blessedness. In other words, like it's good, it's amazing, you're with Jesus, but it's not the end game. And there's more better things, if I can say, there's more better to come. And uh, that, that, that to me is really how the, how the biblical teachers saw uh, their deaths. Yeah, I get to be with Jesus, but it's not the end game because he's returning and we're going to get bodies and we're going to live in the new heavens and a new earth. That's the end game. Which is sort of amazing because like you said, so he- if, if heaven is God's specific presence to mm-hmm. bless yep. and that's where we go when we die, which is where, which is where Jesus is right yeah. now, um, then, then that is, that's <clears throat> us with Jesus in his, 
in God's presence, yep. but there's something better to come. Yeah. That's, that's the crazy thing, right? That's the crazy thing. And so tell me, how, how can that be? And what does that mean for us? Because I think for wow. some people that makes them a little bit nervous. Yeah. How can it be better? Here's how it can be better. Right now, it seems like as best as I can understand it, it really is disembodied. When you die, I mean, mm-hmm. even Paul uses that yeah. language, I'm out of the body. But we have to understand is that for Christians, matter matters. Uh, there, there are some religions where like, you know, your, this desk, this computer, this microphone, my hands, your, hand, your body, none of it matters. It's only spirit that matters. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, uh, they would say that your body matters a lot. And so for those of you who are Christians that are listening to this, I mean, the material world matters a lot. Number one, because uh, God created it. Number two, because he's going to redeem it. And uh, it's no different than the, res- the Jesus's own body. Jesus's body was very important. And so Jesus goes into the grave uh, and then he comes out of the grave, if you will. And he's got a resurrected body. Still looks like Jesus, still his body, but it's been glorified. And it's because matter matters. And it's also, uh, this is why it says, uh, I think about, I think it says this in Revelation about Jesus, that he was the firstborn among the brethren, not because he was created, but because he's the first to come out of the grave to show us what it'll be like for us. And so, um, this is why it's so important because for God, the universe that he created means something to him. And so there are some Christians, especially some evangelicals that have a really um, narrow way that they see the end times. They think that God's going to burn this whole place up, that it's not going to mean anything. So it really doesn't matter what you do with the universe or what you do with the earth, I should say. When really that's not true. I mean, the, the Christians should have a, a very kind of ecological care mindedness about them. Uh, that that's biblically driven, not politically driven, but biblically driven where they're like, they ought to care because our original job was to mm-hmm. steward the world anyhow. And so if God called Adam and Eve to steward the world, then we, we don't have less of a cultural mandate for that. But it's also because it all matters to God. And, and it shows you a better picture of what salvation is. Salvation isn't just about little souls zipping to heaven. Salvation is about a redemption of all things that God's created. And we get to be the first guys in the loop, if you will, or on the boat of, of redemption. And that's why we should care about what's going on in the world today. Um, not that we're going to redeem the world, but because God's going to redeem it and it should matter to us. And we should work towards kinds of things that show that redemption in little small pictures mm-hmm. uh, because that's God's heart for everything. So when we die and we go to heaven, which is, I think, biblically right to say that, heaven's not even finished Heaven's only finished when it joins back to the earth, joins back to the cosmos. And that's what we see in Revelation 21. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it sure felt like I did. It does. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and more. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, but I think that it's it's helpful for people because we're not trying to take away the comfort, like oh. for those who have lost, yeah. you know, people, for Absolutely. those of you, like we're, we're all actually, I mean, like we talk a lot, a lot, like when are the end times? When yep. are, when's the world going to end? Well, for most of us pretty soon. I mean, we're, we, yeah. we all die and we're all going to die within the next, you know, 90 years. If you're oh, listening, come on, man. I hope. I'm just oh, saying 140. So for all of us, this matters. This is a real question and death is the enemy. And so yeah. it's, it's good and right to ask that question and Jesus gives comfort to yeah. all of us. Yeah. I don't think I would ever do a funeral and go, you know, this is good, but it's not as good as what's right. I mean, I, I think we should take great comfort in the fact that, that, um, that 
you know, Jesus says he goes and prepares a place for right. us. But in his father's house. That's right, in his father's in his house. In his father's presence. Um, so I, there's a lot of comfort that, uh, listen, there's the, as much sadness as there is in a Christian funeral, there's really an underlying joy in it all. Um, I mean, there, there is. I've done a ton of funerals. There is. It's, it's a much different story if you have to do the funeral of someone who's, who's not a believer in Jesus. But for those who are, the idea that they're with Jesus in heaven is incredibly comforting, and it should be. It should absolutely yeah. be. But but even with that said, it is not the end game. That's not the end game. Right. Jesus returns and the dead with him. I just I was just thinking whenever you're talking about that, I I love that that the verse you were talking about when he says to his, his disciples in the upper room discourse, I'm going to prepare a place for you because mm-hmm. they're like, what are you talking about? Because right. he's saying, I'm about to be crucified. I'm leaving you. Where are you going? We don't know the way. And then he says, I am the way. Mm-hmm. And that verse is used by so many people as this, you know, uh, not nice verse that Christians throw out there. That Jesus is the only way. And so we are, you know, arrogant. But it's actually the most comforting, kind message that Jesus is giving. We don't know what's happening with death. We don't know where to turn. Well, I am the way and I'm preparing a place for you to be with in the Father's presence. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. So tell me, um, we you you have talked about this sort of in and out, but sure. um, just just give me a clear picture of we have Genesis, we have Revelation, yeah. so that's where we started, which gives us our purpose. Right. You know, God's creation, heaven and earth together perfectly, and we're headed to this culmination, mm-hmm. which is even better than that somehow. Yeah. Uh, where does Jesus fit into this story? So he he's the center of it, but but what does that mean? Yeah, so uh, you know, I have talked about it a little bit. I'll, I'll just I'll I'll hit a rejoinder on it. So when the when the curse is pronounced on mankind and really a, a judgment against Satan himself, uh, we just know that the world's broken, and God's answer to resolving that brokenness doesn't lie in us. He's not counting on us to do it. He's not counting on our goodness. You know, sorry, Maria Shriver. He's not counting on our <clears throat> on our ability to perform well. He just makes a covenant with us that he's going to do it himself and he's going to do it through the person work of Jesus. And so this is where we talk about the cross. This is where we talk about the gospel. The good news is that God comes to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we say that all the time at Clear Creek because we want it to just be burned in the minds and hearts of our people that that this is really the work of grace. And so um, Jesus, <clears throat> if, if, if you if think about it this way, God establishes the perfection of his kingdom on earth with Adam and Eve, that gets lost due to our sin. Jesus comes now to restore the kingdom, being its king. So now the, the king comes to restore God's kingdom, and he does that through the beginning of his ministry, his perfect life, his atoning sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and his, uh, what I'd say, is supreme ascendancy to the throne. And so that's, that's what we have with Jesus' ascension. He, he ascends back into glory. He reigns over all. And now he, with the great patience, uh, waits for all that are going to come to him to come to him. And then whenever that, that, that number is full, and no one knows what that number is, Christ will return um, with uh, the living and the dead, as it says, or as it says in the old King James, the quick and the dead. Um, he, will, uh, he will come with the fullness of that kingdom. And so even Jesus says, I come to bring the kingdom now, but it's, it's, it's here. Now we use the term already, not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's already here with us, but it's not yet come in its fullness until the king returns. And so when Jesus returns, um, 
He brings the fullness of the kingdom and in bringing the fullness of the kingdom, Jesus himself will destroy sin and death and hell, or I should say sin and death. And he'll destroy Satan and the works of darkness. And that's when you get into revelation, you you read about the beast, you read about the, the dragon, you read about the antichrist and things that we probably won't get into here, but we definitely will when we get into our series on revelation upcoming. But, um, that's, that's, that's why Jesus is so important because he's the one that puts an end to it all. Mm-hmm. And he's really started, I mean, the, the, the defeat of sin and death and evil has really already begun at the cross. It just finds its culmination at the return of Jesus where it's all stamped out. So, <laughs> again, excuse me, one of the main passages for that uh, is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I'd be remiss not to read it because I think you, the, this is the picture, the preferred picture of, of what history is moving toward. And it says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So there's where we get that. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, which is a phrase you see repeated all through the Old Testament. You know, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. This, this is the culmination of all that to its, to its finest. And then verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So that's the, <coughs> excuse me, that's the ultimate victory that Jesus brings that starts at the cross and works its way all the way to the return. And so that, that's why Jesus is so important because he's the one who not only initiates it, he makes it happen and he, he fulfills its culmination at the end. So. so how do we live today in light of this? So if, if what our hope is, is not merely going to heaven, right? right. I'm saying merely understanding yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. um, but it's this, <coughs> this, this other purpose, this, this telos, this end where we go back to the beginning, but it's more just like you're saying. So how does that affect how we live today? I think a lot of things. I think... Um, we could probably talk about that for like Yeah, I mean, it's got, a, it's got a million implications. I think, one, it should give us hope. That, I mean, more than anything. You know, I, and I'll, I'll tell this, I'll probably say this somewhere in our series when we do Revelation. Like, if you read Revelation and all it does is scare you, but it doesn't give you hope, mm-hmm. you're, you're reading it incorrectly. So it ought to give you hope that God is in control of history, that he's sovereign over it, that nothing's slipping through his fingers. Uh, It ought to give you hope for that. It ought to give you comfort when injustice happens because you think, oh, someone's missing this. You know, someone's, this, someone's getting away with it, but, but no one gets away with it. So I think that, that it gives us comfort that we don't always have to take, we don't have to take vengeance in our hands. Uh, We can work towards justice. And even when it doesn't work out, it's, that's not the end game. The end game is when Jesus returns and there's a recompense for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that, that, would, that would bother me just being me. I mean, there's a lot of things that God would probably uh, pummel me out for, if you will. Uh, but that's why I'm leaning into Jesus. I mean, I'll let Jesus take that for me. So, but for those who don't, that aren't in Jesus, I mean, uh, it's a point a man wants to die and then the judgment is what the Bible teaches. And so, and if you've had bad things happen to you and you feel like, justice didn't happen. Well, justice will happen at the end. And this is kind of the, the same, well, I, I won't even get into it, but um, I, I think also it should give us, um, a, I think for me, it gives me a better, fuller picture to tell lost people about Jesus 
To me, that's the big one, and that is a big one. It's yeah. like, you know, some, sometimes I feel like we're, we we present such a paltry picture of the gospel for people. Like, Man, don't you don't you don't want to go to hell, do you? Do you want to go to hell? And right. and so people start wanting to accept Jesus just because of, of fire insurance. Uh, which I don't know if Jesus is real good on anyhow. Or uh, they're like, I don't really know if I want to go to that heaven. Yeah, exactly. You know, Crops whatever. Are they going to be fishing all the time? Because I don't. So um, I'd rather, I, I think the doctrine of the new heavens and the new earth is such a, is such a better picture of what salvation is, a fuller picture that's winsome, mm-hmm. that's like, this is something worth getting on board with. Like God's coming to redeem all things. And he wants to start with humanity first. I mean, before the return, he's starting with us and giving us an opportunity to be a part of that or not. And and to me, that is a uh, that's a that's a thrilling way to think about the goodness of Jesus. It's not just about your soul going to heaven when you die. It's talking about the redeem the redemption of all things. And uh, it's why justice matters. It's why mm-hmm. compassion matters. It's why grace matters. And it really gives, um, I mean, frankly, it was such a big deal for the minds and the eyes of the apostles that it colored everything they did. I mean, everything they wrote about, mm-hmm. it was almost, if you, if you think about it this way, big term, all theology is eschatology. In other words, everything that has to do with the living of the Christian life is impacted by the coming Jesus and his kingdom. That's how big of a deal it is, and that's how I think it, it should it should operate in the lives of Christians. It It's given me much more, I, I feel much more, I mean, I have my own... Uh, valleys to walk through and you know, to use another metaphor, hard seas to sail. But one of the things that gives me hope is kind of the lighthouse at the end of God's uh, reckoning at the end of the age. Uh, and it's really not even the judgment part. It's the restoration part mm-hmm. that I'm excited about. So um, those are the kind of things I think, I mean, there's a million other things we can talk yeah. about, but those are the three things that, off the top of my head. I think that um, what people maybe don't realize sometimes mm-hmm. is that this is such a an amazing apologetic to the rest of the world because this picture of hope of heaven, of new heavens and new earth, yeah. of justice mattering, yeah. of, of grace being realized, this is unique to Christianity. Yeah. There yeah. is no other religion. There's materialism, which says there is nothing right. else. There's the material and that's it. And you die yeah. and there's no purpose in life. There is Hinduism, which is, you know, rebirth forever, dependent sure. upon how you live. There's Buddhism where you become part of nature. There's, yeah. you know, Islam, which is an abstract heaven in the sky. Sure. So this... But even that is the heaven, that's the utopia, where is, if yes. you got enough women, you're going to have a harem forever. That's right. And, you know, if you're a woman, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not, not as material. great. Yeah. No, it's, it's not it's, material. It doesn't... Yeah. It doesn't um, acknowledge the yeah. goodness of creation, and it's not this holistic story. Yeah, so you're that, right. It's that, Christianity is a different deal yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Judaism is like it's like the picture, but it's only half of it. That's right. Yeah, there's no climax and there's no culmination. Yeah. I just think that if we have this true and beautiful and good picture, that all the Bible and Revelation really well shows us, mm-hmm. it's such a it's such a beautiful offering to people. I agree. Oh, you love, you do love fishing. Yeah. You do love nature. Yeah. You don't want to die. Yeah. You know, you know, I have a friend who has ALS mm-hmm. and, um, you know, for, for some people, the idea is, okay, you're, you're going to get rid of this body at some point, right. but there's actually this more beautiful picture that actually every aspect of you is going to be redeemed. Right. You're going to run with your kids. Yeah, including your body. Including your body. Yeah, you yeah. know, just like Jesus. I yeah. mean, he's the one who's sort of the, the roadmap for all of us. <clears throat> yeah. He was the first fruits. And well, I think even, even when you mention that, I think it's, a, it's a, great, a great illustration. I mean, just the fact that we get older, 
we ought to be mindful. I mean, as, as you move from your 20s to your 30s to your 30s to your 40s to your 40s to your 50s and so on and so forth, uh, you know, you joke, you're not getting younger, but, you know, your, your body doesn't last as long as it is. I mean, it, it doesn't bounce back. You start to get the wrinkles. You're starting to have these phantom aches and pains. And as you get even older, they're not even phantom. You know where they are. Your joints are running out. These are just reminders that, um, I mean, we can use them, not just like and bemoan the fact like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, get rid of this body. But the truth is we, we should be beyond that or above that going, you know, I can't wait for this body to be renewed. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, then you have the million questions. What will it be like? Well, you know, can I do yeah, all- something? The Bible doesn't tell you that, but it does say it's amazing. And there's if like it, continuity and discontinuity, which that's I think exactly is, right. is good to know because <clears throat> right. like with Jesus, who he's our example. Yeah. He he was Jesus, and they knew him, but Still they also Jesus. didn't know him sometimes, yeah. and something was different. Something's different. Something's uh, different. But that's the beauty of it all is that, uh, you know, I always like to joke, I'm going to be, I'm going to have a six pack, be yeah. ripped and <laughs> have a full head of hair and, you know, no gray, blah, blah, blah. I mean, those, I, I joke about those things, but the truth is, is, is I'm, I'm, I'm 50 now. Um, even I start to feel like, you know what, I, it'll be, it'll be a wondrous day. Selfishly speaking, almost, it'll be a wondrous day when God renews my body and it works exactly like God wants it to work and it's glorified. But even more so, we get to be with Jesus and rule and reign in a new, a new redeemed universe. I don't even know what all that looks like, but whatever the picture, whatever it looks like, the pictures we see in the Bible are so amazing mm-hmm. um, that, uh, I mean, Paul even talked about when he went to heaven, so to speak, to the third, I got caught up to the third heaven, you know, and I was not permitted to tell you the things that I saw. Mm-hmm. And man, if it's that good, because he says, if I were to tell you, you, you wouldn't want to be here. And that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, as, as Lewis, if I can hearken back to Lewis, when he writes in the Chronicles of Narnia in the last battle where he says, it's something to this effect where every, that, that, that the new Narnia, the new heavens and new earth is like reading a book where every chapter is better than the next one. Mm. Uh, so, or than the last. So that's the kind of future that we'll have where we'll every, recognize it, every but that's right. But not. every chapter that we finish will be good, but the next one will be better. And the next one will be better. And that's a beautiful artistic way to talk about mm-hmm. the, the future that we have in the new heavens and the new earth. So for us now, which we have talked about, but I just, that's where I want to sort of land. So if, if we are in this, like you said, already not yet time mm-hmm. and we should care about all these things, mm-hmm. um, you know, what does that look like? Because, you know, whenever I was thinking about this before we did this podcast, what, what my hope for everyone is that they recognize it. It's funny because I was going to ask you, what do you think, you, Rachel? <laughs> this is my favorite question. Yeah, good. Uh, is that I want, I want everyone to know that it impacts everything. So when we do a series called The Table mm-hmm. and we're celebrating the good gift yeah. of food yeah. and <clears throat> feasting, that's because creation is good. Yep. And our bodies are good. Yep. And one day we're going to feast and it's going to be this perfect, never ending celebration like that. Yep. And also we're created for relationship, which yep. is also part of this story. I mean, there's implications I don't even need to answer this question. Seems like you've already answered but, it. But and like salty, Seriously. same thing with salty. I mean, it's just, it impacts, you can go back and I would just, you know, everybody do this. Like go back to all, every sermon series that we've done and think through how does this eschatology, like you said. All theology is eschatology. All theology is eschatology. So how does everything that we talk about uh, impacted by what our hope is yeah. and who our hope is in and what he's doing in us now? So in a, in a really uh, real way, in a really real way, that doesn't sound very good, but in a really real way, 
Christians work, we, we should work backwards in our lives. We should work from the end and come to the present. So we should work from the return of Jesus in the new heavens and new earth and work backwards into how that colors what we do in life. And you so beautifully have said it. I don't really have an answer that you have already talked about. I mean, all of the things that you mentioned uh, and wonderfully so uh, you tied to them to what this, you know, I'll say it again, matter matters. And it matters because of the return of Jesus. It matters because God created it. It matters because uh, it cost the death of Jesus to redeem it. And so Christians ought to, we ought to be in a, not fleshly people, because fleshly usually defined as kind of an ungodly worldliness, but we ought to be physical people in the sense like we're the people that, um, that, that eats well and drinks well and loves well and hugs well and celebrates well and mourns well, and Mm -hmm. that we're present and really present in the places that we are authentically present. Um, and that we, we're not, um, what's the word? I can't, we're not triumphalistic. We're not like, yeah, it's all going to go. It's all burning and we're still going to win in the end. We're not like that. Uh, we, we know what it costs God to redeem it all and us in it. And so there's should be a, a wonderful humility about us, mm-hmm. but uh, and you know it's a term I know you like it I do too. There, there should be a, winsome, a winsomeness about our lives, an aroma that is that that people that's attractive to people, not because we're perfect, but because we know who is and and we live in light, not just of the resurrection, but of the return. Those are good things. Mm-hmm. Those are good things. So we are. In Revelation now. So we're in the beginning, though. So if, if you want to just give us a little taste of what's coming about uh, what we should be looking for. When does this come out? When does this, when does this come out before, while we're in the middle of it? Very beginning. <clears throat> Very beginning. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend 12 weeks in Revelation. And uh, it's going to be a, incredibly challenging. We, we have never gone through the book of Revelation from the pulpit. We have, we have preached text out of Revelation, but never the whole book. <clears throat> and when I mean the whole book, let me just make sure I, I, I get my P's and Q's correct here because we will walk through uh, starting in Revelation 1 and going all the way to Revelation was at 22. And um, we're going to work through all of it, but we're going to cover it like in chunks. So for example, um, you've got, I think Revelation either four, five, or five and six. There's a couple of chapters that's on the seven churches of Asia Minor. We're not going to read through all that because that's just too much text, but we're going to summarize it and kind of excise a, a passage out of it that would, that, would, that would kind of summarize, if you will, the whole the section. So we're going to cover it all. We may not read every word in it, but we're going to cover the whole text and, and try to give people a good sense because it's been, there's a mysterious book for people. It's mm-hmm. a scary book for people. It's an enigmatic book for people. And uh, I, I said this earlier, I'm just convinced that if you read it well, it gives you hope uh, and, 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 and probably a little bit of a kick in the pants to, to live faithfully for Jesus, to be a faithful witness to Jesus in a world that, that wants to pressure you to not be. Uh, that's the world that Revelation was written in and to. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, well, there's a lot of uh, not just wisdom, but a lot of uh, just hope in it. And um, so I, I studied this at the start of last year for about three months. And uh, I was, I really had no intentions of us doing this together as a church, but I mean, it just was overwhelmingly like, oh, we got to do this, man. This'll be, this'll be fun. I'm actually already um, working on stuff right now for it. So I know by the time this thing posts, we'll be right at the starting line for it. I'm super excited I'm about so it. I'm so excited. I just think a lot of people have different, uh, they have preconceived ideas of what this book's about because they've been taught by other people that that think that they are that may know a little bit more. But I, I really feel like we're gonna 
We're going to blow up a lot of misconceptions about the book, and uh, we're not going to do anything but go right through the book to do it. So um, hopefully at the end, everyone's encouraged and excited, and all the more wants to look forward to uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm grateful for you. Yeah, I'm grateful for you. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for being here. Way to, way to make it through all this not coughing. How did That's you right. do that? Not, you were better than I am. So thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.